0: Hi everyone, this is been a 007bag for another very short movie review. Today of the tragically gorgeous visually beautiful movie A Monster Calls by the Spanish director J.A. Bayona. It's very much a film in the template of Juliermo Del Toro, films like Pan's Labyrinth which seem to be about fantasy and myth but are really about coping with the trauma and shock that young children have to deal with and it stars a small boy uh, played by lewis mcdougall um, playing a kid called connor o'malley and as we discover through the film's early stages his mother played by felicity jones shortly to be seen in rogue one is dying of cancer And he's a wonderful kid, he's very creative, just like his mother, he draws. And there's a real joy, actually, about the visceral experience of drawing and creation in this film. The sound that you make when you sharpen a pencil or the the sound of graphite on textured paper. At any rate, they are wonderful. They have a close relationship, but he is suffering through her death and he's very reluctant to move in with his rather spiky, cold grandmother, played by Sigourney Weaver, with a pitch-perfect English accent. And then there's also his estranged father who comes to visit him from Los Angeles, played by Toby Kebbell. And, you know, he's not a bad guy. It's just his life's different now. And so this poor kid is, you know, struggling to come to terms with his mother's death and then trying to figure out whether he's gonna live with his grandma or his dad, do either of them really want him? How does that work? And at school, actually at the start of this film, it reminded me a little bit of Neverending Story, where Bastian Balthazar Bucks is a creative imaginative kid who's on his own, his mum's absent, and he's been bullied, ki- bullied by kids at school. And so the monster of the title is this wonderful yew tree in a cemetery, a spooky cemetery that um, the kid can see from his bedroom window who comes to life and comes to speak to him at 12.07, seven minutes past midnight. And he promises him early on in the story that he's going to tell him three stories, and then the fourth one is the one that Connor must tell him, and it's the story of his nightmare, it's his truth. So you can already tell from that that this is a movie that's going to deal with fable and mythology as a way to confront painful things that are happening in your real life. And that's how the story unfolds. So you have two stories, really. You've got the framing device, which is the story of this kid dealing with grief. And it's incredibly moving. I defy anyone not to cry in its final scenes. But you also have these wonderful stories that are told by the monster that take you into this animated world. Visually so kinetic, beautiful, as if it's watercolours coming to life with light and very sparingly used CGI, actually, apart from the monster himself, who's a Liam Neeson voices him and he's like a massive, kindly, uh, more sinewy version of Groot. (laughs) Um, But the visual animation is amazing and I I really want to see this film again because I'm sure there's so much detail and beauty that I've missed. As the movie begins, the first story that 's told it 's very distinct. you know the, the wonderful fairy tale world is very different from the grim world of, of, of the cancer and the reality. But as the story develops, the two, the two narratives intertwine as Connor starts using this monster to express his real feelings in in the real world that he 's facing and it 's just beautiful it 's beautiful when you start to realize the layers that are going on in the story and getting more depth on the mother and her relationship with her father and oh I can't speak highly enough of this film um it's beautiful magical but also really profound and really nuanced in its depiction of what it's like to be a kid facing up to the loss of a parent so it's it is tough to watch and it's a tough movie I think to take older kids to but in all honesty, I think it would do lots of them a lot of good to understand how you talk about emotions and how you deal with them. But it is one that I think you would have to judge with your children and, and take care of. So, yeah, that's that's a monster calls. I'm going to do a wrap-up of all the release information of the three movies I'm discussing today at the end of the podcast. Also, um, I'll be talking later about Sierra and Nevada, and then La La Land. So, speak to you soon. <laughs> Hey, this has been a 007 back for another quick update. I've just seen the amazing Romanian art house movie, Sierra Nevada, which is by the director, Cristi D. Pugh, who um, did The Death of Mr. Lazarescu, which I guess is one of the most iconic, amazing Romanian films to have come out of that country in the last couple of decades. I guess when I say three hour art house Romanian film, you're probably thinking one to avoid, but actually this is like a deeply, deeply hilarious film. It basically takes place almost entirely within one cramped apartment in modern-day Romania. You have an extended family gathering for the wake of a dead relative. And essentially what you just see build up over these three hours are all the petty jealousies, arguments, infidelities. Uh, You know, you've got the garrulous old auntie who still believes 100% in communism, just absolutely um, driving the young daughter-in-law crazy by telling her that the priest should just be driven out of town. You've got the young cousin who's using the dead man's internet connection to show all his relatives' um, crazy conspiracy theories about 9-11 with absolute certainty, and the other relatives taking the piss out of him and, like, accusing him of knowing for sure who killed JFK. You've got the young, goth, emo daughter who shows up with some drugged-out friend who then proceeds to pass out on the suit of the dead man. Um, oh, it's just, like, for anyone who's grown up in a multi-generation extended family where there are always crazy personalities and people rubbing against each other the wrong way and then forgiving each other because that's what family does, then this is the movie for you. Um, It's also a film, like I said, that's really funny, but it's a black, mordant wit. But it is laugh-out-loud funny. I mean, there are brilliant, brilliant one-liners in it. But it's also a film that's making a point about all these rituals that we have, that we surround ourselves with, um, and whether they actually achieve what you want them to achieve. I think it's no coincidence that the only time our sort of key protagonist manages to genuinely grieve and emote and express how he feels about the death of his father is when he actually escapes the apartment building with his wife, because he has to... um, go and rescue her because she's parked in the wrong parking space and now is kicking up fuss with the neighbours who've blocked her in. Anyway, so he has to go rescue her and they end up having this amazing emotional chat, which is, as all grief it's things that you miss about your dad, it's it's all the craziness, right? It's, it's recriminations, it's anger, it's admitting that he was a flawed character. But that's the moment of emotional truth, but it doesn't happen when the priests are in the house doing the ceremonies and when all the actual sort of traditions are meant to be taking place. Um, so there's deep human truth all through this film. It doesn't feel like a three-hour film. It, it goes much more quickly than that because there are so many delicious personalities to get to know and there are so many brilliant one-liners and minutely observed details. And for sure, you know, I didn't grow up in communist Romania, so a lot of the kind of multi-generational political conflict doesn't make sense to me, but it was fascinating to observe nonetheless. But like I said, if, if you've ever experienced one of those crazy, bonkers family get-togethers maybe at Christmas, then this is absolutely the film for you. I think it's really testament to all the actors involved that they managed to stay naturalistic in what must have been logistically, if you think about it, quite a technically challenging shoot. And also kudos to the director of photography, who again manages to capture all of this without impeding on them. Um, in a sense, you could call this a bit of a waiting for God Up movie, um, There is all this ridiculous amounts of food being prepared, prepared, unprepared, taken out, served, um, taken away by the women of the film that's never quite eaten. And so it's a three-hour movie where you just, you're waiting to be served effectively. But I strongly encourage you to check it out. It really is a fantastic film. Um, Don't be put off by the fact that it's Romanian. Don't be put off by the fact that it's three hours long. It is one of the funniest films I've seen all year. So that is Sierra Nevada by Christy Pugh and as I said before the release details for all these films I'm talking about today I'll give you at the end of the podcast and um, if you're wondering what the noise is in the background it's because I'm standing in Leicester Square waiting for the premiere of La La Land which is the big Ryan Gosling Emma Stone musical. So the whole square is full with music and I'll uh, let you know what that's like afterwards. everybody it's been a 007 back at home after watching La La Land and attending a very awesome after party at the Phoenix Arts Club so thanks to anyone listening from BFI who helped organize that sadly um, I don't know what happened with La La Land last year I watched Damien Chazelle the director's movie Whiplash and it was by far the best movie I saw last year it was kinetic it was taught it was provocative visually and orally audacious. It was just pushing the the genre of the thriller into an area that I'd never seen before and it was just fantastic. When I heard he was directing this sort of homage to the great Hollywood sort of romances and musicals, I was so excited and you know even more so because it was starring Emma Stone And Ryan Gosling, and both of whom I think are really good actors, thinking of movies like Driver and Birdman. So this was a movie I was keyed up for. I love classic musicals. I love romances like Casablanca. And I love jazz. So, you know, Damien Chazelle is my director, right? And everyone said this was the movie to see. It was the hot ticket coming into the festival. Huge plaudits at Toronto. And even festival director Claire Stewart, when she introduced it to the audience, was like, you know, you have got the hot ticket at this festival. But as the lights went down and the movie started, I thought, oh my goodness. There was this big opening song and dance number. I thought it was just very mediocre as show tunes go. Um, Lyrically, not witty, not inventive. I could kind of struggling to hear the words. They weren't well articulated over the music. And actually, that's the first big problem with La La Land. There's kind of one good show tune in there. But other than that, it's pretty mediocre musically. There's also the problem that, obviously, to get the movie made financially um, and, you know, to carry the dramatic scenes. You've cast Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, but they don't really sing or dance very well. And, you know, I have to admit that I'm not in the critical consensus not liking this film. Everybody's in love with this film. And a lot of people at the after party were saying, well, you know, the whole point is to be more naturalistic. But... From my perspective, if you're making a movie that's in love with those great traditional 40s musicals and, you know, the whole lead character, the lead actor, Ryan Gosling, plays Sebastian, the purest jazz musician who's railing against modern innovation and wants to keep things sacred and have integrity, then I feel that you have to have the integrity of casting actors. who can actually sing and dance really well and can carry a tune and can carry the emotion of, of that tune. And it's a specific talent. I think it denigrates the art of the musical um, song and dance man. If you just think you can like cross over from being a straightforward Hollywood actor into doing that. You need specific training. You need specific muscles. Of course, when you don't have the song and dance numbers and the movie is just a straightforward drama, then these actors are perfect. And I kind of feel that inside this somewhat chaotic, throw everything at the wall, two hour musical, there is a really fantastic 90-minute emotional drama that an editor just needs to go in there and release for the audience. Um, In fairness, that that drama is pretty conventional in terms of the storyline. Effectively, what you have is a young struggling jazz musician and a young struggling actress in Los Angeles. They kind of struggle against her initial reaction to each other, but then eventually fall in love. And then, of course, the compromises of art get in the way of their love affair, so should he you know persist with these terrible gigs and try and open his own jazz club, or should he take the high paying gig where he's playing fusion jazz, and for her should does she have the courage to back herself and write a one woman play and make that big break in hollywood um so this is the kind of stuff this kind of compromise to art that we saw kind of in whiplash, you know how far are you willing to go for your art? But it's it's a theme that we've seen in movies like The Red Shoes. And, you know, it's a very familiar Hollywood trope, as is the love story, as is the concept that you're going to have two star-crossed lovers who somehow, you know, love just isn't enough to see them through. But they'll always love each other. there will always be that air of regret or what might have been. So, I mean, that's a, a theme we've seen in movies like Casablanca, great movies like The Way We Were. But even more recently in Woody Allen's Cafe Society, that's a little bit, a story there so I feel that there's a great emotional drama at the heart of this movie because the actors are very good and there's a pivotal scene at the heart of this movie where the jazz musician comes home early from tour surprises his girlfriend with a supper but you see the relationship kind of dissolve as they have this dinner and, that, and that's superb but let us not kid ourselves that the, the narrative here that the themes are anything new And if you strip away, if you brush away the clutter, and it did feel to me like clutter of these sporadic musical numbers, then actually that's all you have is a pretty conventional relationship drama. The musical numbers for me, I don't know. Like I said, I don't think the show is particularly original. There's only so much you can do with jazz variations on one good tune, to be honest. Um, I do not think the song, the singing and dancing, was good enough to carry it. And it just didn't feel respectful. And there, there were scenes where... It just feels like a collage of scenes that he thought looked visually good and might work. So yes, let's have the lovers go to the Griffith Observatory, like in Rebel Without a Cause, and then let's have them dance on the clouds and in the stars. Um, But I'm just not sure it all hung together. And particularly in the final kind of 10 to 15 minutes of this film where he's giving us an alternate reading of this love story. And he kind of takes the lovers through into different kinds of montages and sets of abstract sort of Hollywood musicals. And I was just like, but why? What does this advance narratively? What does this advance emotionally? Or are you just doing it because you can do it? And I'm afraid to say, Damien Chazelle, having produced such a taut, brilliant film in Whiplash, it just felt like he'd been, on the back of that success, let out into the candy store, and I had just been like greedily putting his in hands in lots of different jars and like getting sick on too much candy. And I just wanted to go back to that tautness and that discipline. Um, I really did. The best scenes in this film remain those where he's just filming great jazz musicians play jazz, which is what Whiplash was. They remain just the scenes where you have two people acting on stage. Um, I don't know. I just don't get the hype around La La Land. I think it's a failed project. I really do. I think it's misconceived, ill-conceived, miscast, ill-cast, and uh, just does not work as a film. So in the words of the philosopher, political activist, and, you know, sartorial hero Flavor Flav, don't believe the hype. Just don't believe the hype. But... Like I said, full disclosure, I know I'm in the critical consensus here, so I'm sure you're going to check out La La Land. If you see it and you love it, please drop me a line and tell me why, because I'm just not feeling it. Other than that, that's been a 007 signing out for the evening, and I'll give you the release information for the three films after the um, outro beep. Have a great time at the cinema, whatever you choose to watch. Okay, A Monster Calls has a running time of 108 minutes and is rated R, apparently, in the United States, which I really can't believe. This is a movie we should be watching with our young adults to explain to them what grief is. Um, At any rate, that's what it is. The movie played the Toronto Film Festival in London 2016 and was released earlier this month in Spain. It opens on October 14th in Brazil, Israel, Cambodia and Turkey, on October 20th in Argentina, the Czech Republic, Croatia, Portugal, Singapore, Slovakia and Romania. On October 27th in Denmark, Hungary, Kazakhstan, Russia and Bulgaria. On November 3rd in Greece, the Netherlands and Austria. November 23rd in France and Estonia. On November 2nd in Poland. On November 23rd in the United States. On January the 6th, 2017 in the UK and Ireland. And on January the 12th in Germany. Moving on to Sierra Nevada, fantastic film. It does, I have to say and admit, have a running time of a whopping 173 minutes, but it does fly by. The movie played the Cannes Film Festival this year, Toronto and London. It was released earlier this year in France and Romania, and opens in Poland on June 2nd. Doesn't yet have a US or UK release date that I can see, but I'm sure it will get distribution. So keep an eye out in your local art house cinema. And then finally, on to La La Land, which only has a runtime comparatively short of 130 minutes compared to Sierra Nevada. It's rated PG-13, but my God, I was looking at my watch pretty much from the opening minute of that film. So La La Land played Venice, London and Toronto 2016. It's going to be released in Belgium on November 30th, Singapore on December 1st, Sweden and the USA on December 2nd, Germany, Croatia, Canada, Estonia on December 16th. In Argentina and the Netherlands on December 22nd, in Poland on January the 6th and in the UK on January 13th, 2017, Chile on January the 19th. So of course, go check it out. Let me know what you think. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And tomorrow I'll be back with reviews of The Handmaiden, Trolls, Tony, Edman, and Elle. So a packed day at the festival. Thanks for listening. <laughs>